Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. It is graduation season here in Canada, so we thought it would be good to focus this episode on parents with kids or those with nieces and nephews, as well as those that are students or fresh out of school and cover the topic of how to best set up young Canadians and young adults for success when it comes to money. Now, sadly, if you're my generation or older, then you probably got zero education about money when you were in school or fresh out of school. Yet, those are the critical years where you either establish good or bad money habits, and there are so many things that can lead you astray. For example, not knowing about the easy trap to fall into when it comes to credit card debt or the benefits of, let's say, utilizing something like a low-cost asset allocation ETF in your TFSA instead of using some high-fee mutual fund, maybe in a taxable account instead of it being tax-sheltered. Heck, keeping your investment fees low can literally save you hundreds of thousands of dollars over your investment lifetime. So why wouldn't you want to know about these things as a student or upon graduation so that you can set yourself up for financial success? After all, it's not just about how much money you earn by getting a high-paying job after graduating, but it's also about how much you actually keep after you pay the interest on your loans, taxes, and fees. So to help me with this topic, I have author Doug Price on the show. Doug has written the book 17 to Millionaire, a personal finance book for teens and young adults, specifically here in Canada. And it's aimed to help them become financially literate and establish that strong financial foundation to set them up for success. This is a topic that is close to my heart as I have kids of my own, and I love when fellow Canadians like Doug take it upon themselves to help financial literacy here in Canada by making sure that our kids have a strong foundation. So enjoy the interview, and if you like this kind of education, I'm actually in the process of creating a free six-day mini course showing you the details of how I personally invest, what investments I buy, the tools I use, and how I optimize my investments and finances to pay the least in fees and taxes. To get it, you can just sign up anywhere for free over at buildwealthcanada.ca, and I'll send you the course the moment it's ready. And depending on when you're listening to this episode, it may actually already even be ready if you go on this site. So I look forward to sending that over to you. And now let's get into the interview. All right, Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks, Cornell. Happy to be here. Awesome. So to kick things off, can you tell us about your book and why you decided to write it? Absolutely. Um, so my book is called 17 to Millionaire. And the subtitle is, you're 17, you're Canadian, you want to be rich, let's do this. And the idea behind it is to try to fill a gap in financial literacy training for the younger generation. So I don't know about you, if you had, uh, if you got financial literacy training when you were in high school, did you? Zero. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I have very much a soft spot for people that are actually taking the lead in Canada and trying to educate the youth in that way. It means a lot to me because I never had that. So I had to learn it all myself. So it's really nice to see others who know how things work a bit and are willing to teach just to give people a strong, kids a strong foundation before they get released into the world of high interest credit cards and all of that. 
A hundred percent. Yeah. Actually, you know what? That's part of the reason why I was so excited to be on your show is because I know you and I share that uh, in terms of trying to educate people on the financial systems in Canada, how they work and this kind of thing. And so my book is is really trying to fill the gap in financial literacy training that I believe exists because uh, I'm similar to you. When I was in high school, I didn't get any uh, uh, financial literacy training at all. So yeah, so the book is designed to kind of be a springboard for 17-year-old Canadians who decide that they want to be rich. And it's um, and I should clarify, it's not a get-rich-quick book. It's a book that is designed to leverage the tools that are already available to to people living in Canada. And and it's basically how can you how can we take these tools? How can we understand them to a point that as a 17-year-old, we can start to take advantage of them, especially when we turn 18, we can start to take advantage of them. And so how can we set our students up so that they're beginning to take advantage of these tools at a really, really early age? So that's kind of the premise of 17 to Millionaire, Millionaire, and it's designed to be written in a way that is really, really fun for the reader, which I know we'll talk more about. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And I liked how you picked 17 because I feel like at 18... Well, people can start opening up their TFSAs. They can. They, they are probably going to get marketed credit cards a lot at that point because they're going to post secondary. A lot of people, and and so it's nice that at seventeen, okay, they're probably still in high school, and so you sort of get a preemptive strike. You get to you know educate them a little bit before all these marketing messages start. They get bombarded with. And then it's easy to fall into some bad habits and things like that, maybe get overextended on debt. So I do like how you targeted this specifically where, okay, let's get in there early so that you're well-equipped before you graduate high school and actually move on to either the working world or post-secondary world. So it's all wonderful. I could not have put it better myself, Cornell. That's like exactly it. Like 17 seems to be this prime age where since we're graduating high school, we're starting to think about the future. We're starting to think about university. We're starting to think, huh, like money is definitely something that if I don't already, I'm going to have a relationship with. And what are the things that are available to me? How does the banking system work? How does investing work? Like this retirement is this kind of ethereal thing in the future that is, isn't tangible. And so, but should I be thinking about that? And uh, anyway, so, but, but it does seem to be this great age where we can kind of go, Hey, are you interested in money? These are some things that you could do, some tools that are available so that if at some point in your life, you would like to be whatever version of wealthy, uh, uh, what, whatever wealthy means to you, we can set you on the path to getting there now at, at 17. And you know what, Cornell, uh, as far as I know, and I've done about two two years worth of research on this, uh, as far as I know, there's never, ever been a personal finance book ever written for a specific age of a specific nationality. So we have finance books that are like the teen's guide to finances or like money for kids or right. Like, of course, there's thousands of books like that. But as far as I know, and maybe you or one of your listeners can correct me, uh, but as far as I know, there's never been one specific uh, age of a specific nationality. And so I'm really hopeful that the specificity is is what leads the book to ultimately being the most helpful to the reader. Like when I was writing it over the last two years, I just kept thinking, is this is what I'm saying in the book 
genuinely going to be helpful or am I just adding to the the already um, wide and varied uh, array of financial textbooks and books that are out there already? And and I just kept thinking, as a 17-year-old, would I, like, I'm not 17 anymore, of course, but when I was 17, would I have felt that this was genuinely helpful, not just a book that I was being made to read? And so every choice I made with the book was all about the experience of the reader and trying to make it as helpful as possible. So, yeah, I was very impressed by how niche you decided to go with the book. Where, because of, as a Canadian, you know, we're not on the, we don't we we don't get as many products as in the U.S. because of our population and all of that. And so when something is specifically for Canadians in this field. I'm overjoyed because <laughs> hey, this is going to be relevant to us. This is wonderful, and it's and you're someone that actually took it one step further, and are saying not only is this for Canadians, but it's for like kids that are now going to be leaving high school, going into post secondary. They're entering that adult ish world where now they are going to have these financial responsibilities. They're officially an adult, things of that nature. They can sign for a lot more things now. And yeah. so I was very <laughs> impressed. I thought, wow, good, good for you. That's, it was really <laughs> impressive because most people aren't willing to go that deep because they're like, oh, we want this bigger market, right? Of, of, of people that this is relevant for, but you instead really niched it down. But I think that allowed you as well when I was, I'm in the process of going through your book right now. So the, the parts that I've read so far, I mean, it's so relevant for that specific target market because it's it's written specifically for them. And so, yeah, very, very wonderful. It was really impressive. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, I really, I really appreciate that. I think, um, I think part of the, part of the reason why I think it was important that we aim for one specific age is because the topics that we're covering are, let's face it. I mean, inherently they're, 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 kind of boring. I mean, maybe not to you and me, like, well, like we love this stuff. For the average but... person, for, I can see that for sure. <laughs> no, yeah, totally. Yeah. totally. So, uh, so, so, and especially like a 17, uh, a 17 year old, I remember being 17 and, and I remember thinking, I, you know, I'm, I don't want to learn about that or I don't want to read that textbook or whatever. It's just, it's boring, like banking and money and investing and the stock. Oh, geez. Like, like it's all boring. I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about Friday night, hanging out with my friends. And, uh, but so, so part of my process was how can I entice a 17 year old reader? And so I felt that, or rather, how can I entice a reader in general? And I felt that, okay, if we make it specific to Canadians and 17 and you want to be rich. So that's why the subtitle, you're 17, you're Canadian, you want to be rich, let's do this. It just narrows it down, right? And what my hope is that at some point, if if a reader gets gets a book, at some point, the book will go from not in their hands to in their hands, whether that's a school that's giving it to them, handing it to them, or whether they're opening it up as a gift, like a like when they're turning 17 and they open it up on their birthday or, or whatever, it goes from not in their hands to in their hands. And for me, when the book gets, when they hold that book for the first time, the reader, the 17-year-old develops a relationship with the book. And for me, it is crucial that when they hold that, that first impression is I want them to look at it and go, okay, the book looks cool. And also the subtitle specifically describes me. They're in the club, right? If you're 18, sorry, the book's not for you. If you're 16, sorry, the book's not for you. It's specifically written for 17. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're 18 and you're 16, of course, you can read the book. You'll love it, right? Um, uh, but, but the idea behind going for the specific age was 
so that you feel as a reader that, oh my goodness, I'm in the club. And I'm hopeful that that feeling will get them to open it, open the book to the first page. And if I can get them to open it to the first page, I think I'll just start kind of pulling that carrot and just kind of pulling them along. And hopefully the book continues to entice them, continues to in- encourage them. And, uh, and hopefully the experience for the reader is awesome. That's what mm-hmm. we're going for. Awesome. Now, whether we're a child, teenager, or adult, learning to manage our cash flows is a critical skill that we have to employ literally our entire lives. What process do you recommend to ensure that we are managing our income and expenses appropriately and not overspending? I imagine this was a big focus for you because as they enter the working world or post-secondary world, this is very much something that's on the forefront. That you know they don't have a million dollar portfolio yet that they're trying to learn to optimize. They're just trying to, you know, they're looking at cash flow management. But I think this question too, I mean, it's relevant for even a reti- someone living off their portfolio in retirement, right? These are very critical skills. What are your thoughts and in, in terms of what you think are sort of the best practices that are good to stick to when it comes to that cash flow management piece? 100%. And it's a great question. And it's something that I address right away in the book. So although I do have a, I have a, an, an entire chapter that's just focused on budgeting. And and I go into kind of various budgeting styles in that particular chapter. I, I sort of present a, hey, when it comes to budgeting, there's not a one size fits all, but there's a couple various techniques. And if you can explore these different techniques, ideally, you'll find one that fits for you and your lifestyle. And hopefully it helps you uh, it, it helps you spend less than you make. That's kind of the, the goal I try to get to in the budgeting chapter. At the very beginning of the book, the the book is divided into five different sections. And the first section is called the golden rules. And in that, the 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 three things that I really outline in there is the importance of the pay yourself first rule, which I know you've discussed many times. And this idea that okay, so many of us these days, we make money, then we spend money, and then we don't have any more to invest. And so how do, excuse me, as a 17-year-old, how can we adjust our thinking so that we go, I make money, I decide 10%, roughly 10%, and then and then I have the rest to spend in whichever way. So, and it's just a matter of building that habit. And, and I think what's even more important than building the habit, even though I think building the habit is crucial to building wealth, I do think that it's about bringing an awareness to the reader that, oh, hey, actually, if I reverse my thinking and I think, okay, I make money, then I set aside a portion, that's the first thing I do, and then I have the rest. I think that in itself is the first step, and it's crucial just to educate the the reader on that and just to get them to start thinking about it. And then the other, my other two golden rules are the the next one is max out tax free savings accounts, which of course we've we've talked about and uh, lots. And then the last one is just recognizing the value of compound interest. And so I actually take the reader through the book. Or rather, through the first 55 pages of the book, I actually demonstrate how on a minimum wage job in in Ontario, in a minimum wage job in Ontario, they can actually uh, hit millionaire status uh, using a relatively modest uh, interest rate through the magic of compound interest. Uh, by the time they hit, I, th- I think in the book it's 54, so about 11 years earlier than the average age of 65 retirement. So 
So that is the first focus of the book. And I'm hopeful that after they read those uh, those chapters and that first section, which is the first 55 pages, and it takes about, roughly about 29 minutes to read. And actually, even in the beginning of the book, I even say, hey, get through the first 55 pages. Like, let's make a deal. You read <laughs> to the first 55 pages. Uh, did, did you like that part? <laughs> yeah. I, I really like the part when you spelled out how they can actually get to that million dollar net worth and show on the compounding thing. I think that's so powerful because it it actually showed how this this is possible. This this actually makes sense. This isn't just some pie in the sky type thing, but here's the math that actually shows how the compounding works. And I think for a lot of people listening to this podcast, they've probably been listening to it for probably probably a while, or you know, they're clearly into this stuff, so they already know about compounding and all that. But I mean for for a kid, I mean, I think that's so valuable to be able to say, here's how it actually works and here's how you can actually get there. And here's the math proving that. And, and for sure, I can see that being very motivating to want to learn more about how to optimize things to get there. So no, I, I definitely remember, I haven't gone through your whole book yet, but I, I definitely read that chapter and I thought, oh, that, that's really great. That's really great. It, it's sort of like showing the thing that they're working for. You know what I mean? It's It's very motivating. Exactly. Like, and, and I think that is part of educating, uh, or, or rather teaching financial literature is, is how do we keep it motivating? How do we keep it interesting? And, and I think the, so obviously with the title of the book, 17 to million millionaire, the idea is that at some point in their life, they can hit millionaire status if that's something that is important to them. And so how do we get there? And in the first 55 pages, I, I do, as you say, I outline uh, using realistic math how it is 100% possible. They just have to make smart choices. It takes uh, it takes smart choices and it takes a little bit of time and a little bit of effort, but it is certainly possible. And now a quick message from one of our sponsors. These are our hiring goals, they say. They're very aggressive. But when everyone looks to you, you're calm. Why? Because you know you don't need a miracle. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed's hiring platform helps you easily schedule and conduct virtual interviews all in one place. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful matching tools that find you matched candidates fast. On Indeed, over 85% of employers find quality candidates whose resumes match their job description the moment that they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. One of the things that I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because the moment you post a job on Indeed, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes match your job description, and you can even invite them to apply right away. So start hiring now with a $100 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed dot com slash build wealth offers good for a limited time again you can claim your 100 credit now at indeed.com slash build wealth terms and conditions apply and now back to the show when someone's entering the world of investing in the markets for the first time whether it's someone that just turned 18 or you know, sort of opening up their TFSA, or an established adult that is now learning how to actually navigate that world of investing. Where do you stand on using something like a robo advisor versus just a single asset allocation ETF versus buying multiple, you know, individual ETFs versus other options like you know the mutual funds or just going to a bank and, and seeing an advisor? Where do you stand on 
on that front because there's you know sort of like a fish depending on what you pick some are more complicated than others obviously some are a lot more expensive than others and you also don't want to overwhelm the individual that you know the child or you know the teenager because then they might just throw their hands up and say okay forget this and they might take a wrong path and so how do you think about all of that and how how what sort of conclusion did you come to in terms of the optimum way if there is one <laughs> absolutely and i i think uh, and i think you'll agree i i i'm not sure that there's a one size fits all and actually uh, when it comes to uh, kind of the robo investors i actually don't touch on it in this book and part of the reason why i don't is because as you say, uh, Cornell, I didn't want to overwhelm my readers. So there's a couple topics that I thought, hmm, am I going to have a topic on cryptocurrency? And, and at the end of the day, I thought, you know what? This book is about getting 17-year-olds started. That's what it is, bringing an awareness to it. So these uh, the robo-advisors and different things like this, I thought these are fantastic topics for a sequel to the book. And actually, even throughout th- this book, I do tease the reader in that I, I suggest a couple times in the book, well, I'm not, I we could go down this rabbit hole here, but instead, maybe I'll write a sequel, which might be called 26 to Millionaire, which would be a book that's designed for 26-year-old Canadians. Um, I won't officially announce, Cornell, on your podcast that I'm working on 26 to Millionaire, but uh, well, I won't announce officially that I'm working on 26 to Millionaire yet. <laughs> um, but I do, I do think there's a lot of opportunity to go deeper into some of these topics. However, uh, one thing I do touch on is uh, I do t- touch on uh, automatic direct deposits and uh, and automating direct deposits into savings vehicles. And how that once uh, once they turn eighteen, how they can use whatever financial uh, uh, rather financial institution that they're working with, how they can set that up in almost all of them, if not all of them, uh, to be able to do that, and uh, and how that mentality of set it and forget it can serve them in huge huge ways uh, down the line, as well as in the in the immediate so set it and forget it and this is how you can do it these are things that you want to say when you talk to your advisor or when uh, or whoever it is you're working with say this and i actually even script it in the uh in the book because i find sometimes that i don't know about you cornell but i i used to find banks very very intimidating and i used to think wow all those fancy people behind the glass doors or in the really tall buildings i have no idea what they're doing and it kind of scares me it makes me kind of feel dumb that i don't know what they're doing and so my book is designed to kind of break down those barriers to go hey here's how a, here's how a bank works this is how a bank makes money and when you walk into your meeting with with a financial advisor, these are some of the things they're going to say to you. These are some questions they're going to ask you. This is what you need to be prepared to tell them. And uh, and these are some of the tools that they're going to offer you. Now, when they say this and this and this, this is what it means. And one thing, if you want to set up automatic direct deposits into a savings vehicle, be it an RSP or a TFSA or what have you, then um, then this is what you want to say. And I even script it in the book, say this, and they will know exactly what you're talking about. And they'll be able to set that up for you so that you can set it and forget it. And, uh, and, and yeah, that's kind of the idea of the book is bringing an awareness to those kinds of tools. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. So you're not really saying, okay, this is the number one thing you should do and here's how to do it. It's more, here is this menu of options you have here as a Canadian 
And then you sort of leave it up to them or hopefully the parents helping them go down that rabbit hole and figuring out the vehicles, you know, like the high fee mutual funds versus low cost ETFs, that kind of a thing. But your thing, I guess, is more about kind of eliminating that mystery of that banking world. And so they can at least start approaching it with some confidence. Would that be fair to say? That's exactly it. In fact, at the end of the book, I have a glossary which talks about terms. And instead of naming it the glossary, I decided to call it ridiculous terms people use to sound smart. And so then I, then I, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so then, call it what it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then so then I then I just outline, hey, like when you're in your meeting, they might use this term, they might use this term. Like, what are these terms? Nice. Of course, I do that throughout the entire book as well, uh, but uh, but that's exactly it. How do we break down the walls between what we don't know and what and, and the information that is out there, and how can we bridge the gap uh, so that a 17-year-old can walk in, or if they're 17, they're walking into the bank on their 18th birthday, which, which is what I suggest. I even say, hopefully, the bankers don't uh, sing happy birthday, but I hope they have a cupcake for you, and then uh, and then what are what are some tools that are available on your 18th birthday you can open a tfsa and uh, you know put a couple bucks into it every little bit counts and uh, and that is the idea of the book um is to is to bridge that gap mm-hmm. do you have any advice just from working with different students when developing the book on how to prevent overwhelm overwhelm when you're teaching someone this for the first time because yeah just the nature of this beast i could see it becoming very sort of information overload, so many different options. And if someone's new to it, it might come off as a little much and then they kind of put on the back burner or they just say, okay, forget it. And then, you know, then they, they, it's easy again for them to fall into that wrong track. Do you have any advice when it comes to that? Definitely. So Cornell, as I was writing this book, I kept asking the question, as you mentioned at the the beginning of our chat here, that you didn't get much financial literacy training in high school, neither did I. So I kept asking why, why don't we do this? Why isn't this a a natural thing? And the conclusion that I, I kept coming to, and I'm still working through it, is that it's financial literacy is very difficult to teach and it's very difficult to learn. And part of the reason why it's very difficult to teach is because it's kind of like it's kind of like teaching like a bowl of spaghetti. Like there's no obvious way into it. It's a kind of a big jumble and everything is connected. And oftentimes when you're teaching it or when you're learning it, you have to understand X before you can understand Y, but you have to understand Y before you can understand X. So it's very, very difficult to teach. And as a species, we have like a thousand years of teaching mathematics. Any math teacher will tell you, first you go addition, then you go subtraction, then you go multiplication, then divide, right? Like like we have an order in which we teach it. Like you're not gonna introduce calculus into a grade one math class. So we know the order in which we have to go in. But we don't have the same amount of experience as teachers. We don't have the same amount of experience when it comes to financial literacy training. So it hasn't been laid out clearly. Ah, first we learn this, then we learn that, then we learn that, then we learn that. And rather, it's all just this big jumble. Now, I will say there are teachers across Canada who I have both been connected with and heard of throughout my my journey uh, in writing this book who are starting to figure it out and who are teaching. And I'm such an advocate for them. I'm on their side. I'm rowing in their boat. Like that's amazing. And and I really felt that it was my responsibility as a teacher 
in this book to try to figure out, okay, what is the order in which we're going to go in, in order to be able to learn, uh, learn these concepts. Okay. So first it was a matter of figuring out the order. That's, that's my first step, adjusting, adjusting, adjusting. And then it was going, okay, now I'm going to take all these, these concepts in this order that I, I, I think they're going to be best to teach them in. And I'm going to break them down into small little bite-sized portions. And then what I'm going to do in the book is I'm going to introduce the bite-sized portion and I'm going to introduce a couple pieces of information that are relatively easy to understand for the reader. And then what I'm going to do is as a teacher, it's going to be my job to anticipate once the reader understands A and B and C, that the reader goes, okay, well, if A and B and C are true, then I have a question about D. And it's going to be my job as a teacher to go, you probably have a question about D and I anticipate it. And that pulls us into the next chapter of the book. So it's almost like like a cliffhanger of a book at every single point to continue to pull the reader towards the end of the book in an experience that is hopefully uh, uh, enjoyable. So, so, but I do think that as teachers, we, we struggle to figure out that order and that is what I felt my mission was with that, uh, with this book. And then also from the other side of things as a student, it's very easy to just check out. If we don't understand something, even as, a, as adults, if we're trying to learn about money, if, you don't understand money. It's easy to to just go, oh, I'll learn about it later, or I'm not going to read this book because it just makes me feel dumb. Or and and once we start to feel that way, then we that we just become conditioned that maybe that's just my experience with money. I'll just never learn it. It's I'm I'm not smart enough, whatever. And and I think that really sucks, but I don't think it's I don't think it's the average individual's fault. I don't think it's anybody's fault. I don't think this is a, a game of finger pointing. I really do think it's that it's that we just don't have the experience as a species in terms of teaching it. So that's what I felt was my um, was my mission with this book was to nail that order. And Cornell, did I did I get it right? I mean, the book went through twenty one drafts, and did I, did I get it right? I I don't know, but I can tell you, man, it is the furthest from wrong I can possibly get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one thing that really impressed me when I was looking through your book and just some information that you sent me as well was how you actually tested this with high school students yeah. to make sure that. It's written in a way that's digestible for them. That it's written in a way where you know you don't lose them. That kind of yeah. a thing. I, I think that was it's such a such a clever idea to do it that way, um, so that you actually do get, it actually generates results for the teenagers as opposed to you know oh it's this great book but they only get through ten percent of it because you lose them <laughs> because totally. it gets too complicated or whatever or uninteresting or boring or whatever. So yeah, very, totally. very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'll, cool. and I'll and I'll mention too that yeah so. Uh, in that vein, if if readers find the book like in, enjoyable, um, I really so much credit has to be given to my test readers. We hired over fifty, over fifty, fifty-two uh, to be exact, fifty-two test readers across Canada who are the ages of about sixteen to nineteen years years old, and they were they were just 
amazing, like great kids across the country who, who were willing to jump in and we hired them, we paid them. And, uh, and they had to read the book in five different sections. So one section a week for five weeks, and then they had to answer questions about their experience with, so their questions were not based on retention. It was based on experience. And the questions that we asked them, we tried to word the question so that it biased a negative response in that we wanted to know, hey, when were you bored? What did you not like? What did you not understand? When did you start checking out? When did you think this was this was just some adult who had no idea how to talk to teenagers? Like all these things. And uh, <laughs> let me tell you, they um uh they didn't hold back. They were they were <laughs> they were pretty honest. Um, brutally honest. So Cornell, we received over 3000 comments wow. uh, about the book and I, uh, over the course of about a year, so we did five test groups in total and over the course of a year and, in, and I painstakingly combed through every single comment. And if I saw patterns where, okay, multiple people felt this way about, about a particular chapter, I would rewrite the chapter. I would send it back to them, say, hey, I listened to your comment. What do you think of this? Did this address your concern? And we would go back and forth on that until 21 drafts later, here we go. Uh, but the um, by first name, the all my test readers are mentioned by first name at the back in my thank you section. My shout out to cool people that I have at the at the back of the book, and indeed they are super cool. They they are the pillars of this book. So if um, if any of the parents of of my test readers are uh, listeners to your podcast, a huge huge shout out to them. They are um, uh, uh, they are the reason that that this this book is the way it is right now. And I am so grateful to them. And now a quick message from one of our sponsors. There are so many opinions on how to invest your money today, but it can be hard to find credible voices to rely on in the world of finance and investing. One resource that I turn to every week is the ETF Market Insights YouTube channel led by today's episode sponsor, BMO ETFs. Market Insights brings in industry experts, and the weekly episodes cover the hottest themes like inflation, infrastructure, healthcare, and more. Tuning in helps me stay up to date on what's happening so I can be a smarter investor, and you can also submit your own ETF questions to be answered on the show. So do yourself a favor and subscribe on YouTube to ETF Market Insights or visit ETFMarketInsights.com so you can be notified when future episodes go live. And now back to the show. What did you learn from those feedback sessions when it comes to how to best teach your kids or not just teenagers, but just kids in general about anything as a parent or educator? Because I, I imagine you came into this with certain, you, you wrote it the best you could at the time. And then this feedback came in and I'm sure some of that challenged your thinking or how you used to think about things about how to best teach someone, how to best teach kids uh, when it comes to this subject. Can you share some of those insights with us? And just so that I'm a parent, so selfishly, it'd be nice to know, hey, when you're trying to teach your kid about something, whether it's financial literacy or even something else, what things tend to work well in terms of keeping their attention and them actually caring, you know, versus you just lose them and you might as well be talking to a wall. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I, I was actually so impressed with my, my test readers. They, right across the board they loved the sarcasm 
I threw sarcasm into my book and they, they, they went nuts for it. I, 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 I just thought that that was hilarious, but no, um, in, in all seriousness, uh, to your point, I think, I think talking to our kids about money, and I should preface this by saying I am not a parent. I've had many, many conversations now with parents about how they address uh, finances uh, with their kids. And right across the board, having discussions with our kids about money ten seems to be awkward. It seems to be this awkward conversation that is difficult for parents to have. It's difficult for kids to have. It, it almost seems to me like nobody really likes doing this, but there seems to be this unspoken uh, agreement among parents that it's probably a good thing to do to talk about money with our kids. But but oftentimes I think as parents, we, we don't do it. And again, I'm speaking from a point of view of someone who's not a parent, but uh, the feedback I've gotten is that parents find they often don't do it because they don't know how to approach it with their kids or they themselves feel like there are gaps in their own training. And by opening up the conversations with their kids, what it ends up doing is it actually exposes them as a parent, a, a weakness or an ignorance that that perhaps they've been harboring for, for a long time and just never addressed themselves. And who wants to do that? Who wants to open up an already awkward conversation when when it, it, it just exposes a potential weakness. So what I've tried to do with the book is I actually tried to reverse things. And I tried to give the agency to the teenager. And there's actually three chapters that are carefully placed in the book that outline how the teenager can open up the conversation with their parents in a way that is non-threatening, non-intimidating, uh, healthy, hopefully, and that ultimately leads to the both the teenager as well as the parent putting the teenager on a pathway to financial success. And so what I'm hopeful is that this book not only helps the financial literacy for the for the student, but also helps to fill that gap in terms of parents feeling like they have to have that conversation with, with their kid. I want to relieve parents of that. A parent can gift the book to their, to their students. The student reads it. The student understands how to open up that conversation with their parents now. And even if that doesn't happen, for a parent to know that, hey, there's all these topics in this book. I know that my teenager is reading this in a really fun, engaging way. I know they're going to like it. Uh, and then hopefully that will lead to opening up the conversation. Ultimately, Cornell, at the end of the day, having conversations with our kids about money is super, super important. And I do believe, I truly believe that this book is one of the ways to take us further towards that conversation. And your book, it focuses on obviously helping teenagers learn about money and, and how it works, like we've already discussed, just so that they can have that strong foundation for the rest of their lives. But what are your thoughts about how parents of younger children can best educate them and set them up for success when they are still in elementary school or early high school. So, you know, we're not going to teach them TFSAs probably at that point. You know, my daughter's eight. <laughs> she, she can't open it for another 10 years. So, so you know, for, the, for that kind of age group where they're younger, but you still want them to have a strong foundation, do you have any sort of advice or best practices that you've observed uh, that you can tell us parents that you think would work very well for that younger age group? So I did talk to uh, uh, I did talk to a friend of mine who is a parent, and they were employing 
a method that I thought was really cool. I actually don't I don't talk about it in the book because obviously my my book is is written for 17-year-olds, but they were trying with their kid where they they gave them an allowance and out of that allowance 10% immediately went into a jar that the that the kid was not allowed to touch until the end of the month. And if the uh, and if the kid decided to keep the money in there, then the parent would reward them by keeping the money in there by by providing like if it was a dollar in the jar, then they would provide like a nickel or a dime. Right. And so basically it was an easy exercise for the parent to uh, to exercise with the kid deferred gratification. And so can you get your can you entice your kid to keep that money at the end of the month? in the jar by rewarding them for keeping the money in the jar. And so obviously by doing that, you're setting up the conversation of compound interest. And so, so this is fantastic. Uh, so I thought that was a really cool, uh, cool idea. And, and perhaps one that I will talk in, uh, talk about in a later book, but I also want to mention this. You'd be amazed Cornell at, at how many, how many parents have emailed me and said, so Doug, I know your book is for, 17 year olds, but I gave it to my 12 year old and my 12 year old loves it. Or I gave it to my 14 year old and they love it. Or I started reading it with my 11 year old and they, and, and they totally understand. So, um, so I would say, I would say for parents, if you can grab a copy of the book, read through it yourself, especially if you have someone that, uh, like if you have a teenager or you have a child who's under 17 and uh, I don't know, like make it available to them, see if they like it. And if they do lean into that, Hey, why not? Right? Like, like why, why, if, if the kid understands, why can't they learn about TFSAs when they're 10, 11, 12 years old? Like, why not? Like, let's try it. So, um, so that, that is kind of the, the approach I'm taking only because of the amount of positive feedback I've gotten from parents of, of younger kids than 17 who have provided that feedback and, and said, yeah, like your book is working on my, on my 11 year old, my 12 year old, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to kids or teenagers learning about money, what have you found that they struggle with the most where us parents or educators need to spend some extra time on? I'm sure when you were having those feedback sessions with the you know the 50 teenagers, there were probably some things that from your feet from the feedback they gave that okay, clearly they're having trouble grasping maybe this concept or that concept. Was there anything that we should maybe raise a flag on where okay, this is something you shouldn't just gloss over if you're teaching this to your kids as a parent, because this can be an area of difficulty. A hundred percent. Yes. So the two things that come to mind, Cornell, are progressive tax systems and RRSP. So I was finding, it, it was kind of blowing my mind how many people don't understand a, a, the progressive tax system that we have. And uh, the I have a, an entire chapter on tax brackets where uh, that I had to rewrite 21 times to get it as close to right as I possibly could. And I really found that the the readers really struggled to understand that concept, to understand that, hey, we are, uh, you know, our tax bracket applies to the the last dollar we make. And, uh, and I found that I had to give multiple examples to show how that, how that works. And in fact, I ended up adding, you'll like this. I ended up adding a chapter into my book called don't make this mistake where, <laughs> where I describe a mistake that I made 
this was a number of years ago now, I had just started doing my research around tax brackets. And just at that point, so so I understood the, the different tax brackets, but I didn't understand that my entire salary was not taxed at that rate. And this is a mistake that I realize a lot of people make. And uh, and my boss at the time, she offered me a raise of like, it, it was like a couple thousand dollar raise. I thought this is amazing. And, but I realized that once that raise was, <coughs> excuse me, once that raise was applied, that actually it was going to push me into the next tax bracket. And I made the foolish and incorrect assumption that once I was pushed into the next tax bracket, that my entire salary was going to be taxed at that tax bracket. So once I did the incorrect, I need to emphasize the incorrect math, it appeared to me like the amount of more tax that I was going to have to pay was actually going to outweigh the amount of the raise. So as in, even though I was making more money, I was going to have to pay more in taxes, which was going to result in me actually making less money because the I, more taxes rather than the raise. So, um, so I actually turned down the pay raise. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I turned it down and my boss, I remember her looking at me like I had 10 heads and going, why? And, and I remember being so convinced that, no, I've done the math. Trust me. I, yeah, I've yeah, got my spreadsheet. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, so I actually decided to create a chapter in my book called don't make this mistake and, and where, where I kind of outline that. And, uh, and of course that chapter is placed right after tax brackets. So I describe the progressive tax system, how it works. And then I go on to explain, Hey, if you, if, if you don't understand it, this is what could potentially happen. So it's, it's a good thing to understand. And then the other thing to your, uh, to your question is, is RRSPs. And I think, find explaining the RRSP extremely difficult because there's a lot of um, uh, cart before the horse kind kind of ideas. And I find the RRSP is the center of a Venn diagram with a lot of circles. So there's a lot of concepts that overlap. And to give you an example, like I decided in my book, section number three out of five sections, section number three, chunk three, I called the road trip. And the reason why I called it the road trip was because I wanted uh, the the reader and the author to go on a journey that was going to lead us to the RRSP. So in order to get there, we were going to go through uh, we were going to go through a number of pit stops, and the pit stops include getting hired, being taxed at the stores, understanding your pay stub, like just basic stuff. But if you don't, if you're never taught, you don't know. Uh, leading us into tax brackets, leading us into uh, um, uh, and then leading us into total income versus taxable income. And then uh, tax deductions, and then finally arriving at at the RRSP. And once I was able to go through all of those pit stops, finally, when I arrive at the RRSP, by by explaining it, they already had these pieces of knowledge, so they could ultimately uh, piece together how the RRSP works. And I don't know if you've if you've ever done this yourself, Cornell, but I have found that by just starting with the RSP and trying to explain it, I very quickly run into problems because I realize that, oh my goodness, uh, I really do need to explain that entire concept or I really do need to explain this entire concept in order for you to understand it. So that was part of the struggle is what's the order of information I need to go in in order to get to the RSP. So but I'm I'm hopeful that my readers now will be able to understand it after all this testing and all these drafts. That's my hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I noticed in your book, you did start with the TFSA, which was the, I thought that was very smart when I saw that 
because again, going to that whole point of, okay, let's not overwhelm. Let's introduce things gradually. And the TFSA just seemed like a smarter thing to start with, which you did because one, it's simpler to understand, but two, if they're just starting off, they're in the lowest tax bracket anyway, most likely. And so the TF, so save your RSP contribution room to later when you're making more, for instance, right. As is the Com- what as is what is most appropriate for for most people. So yeah, so that, I thought that was very uh, cleverly done, where um, it does not overwhelm them, and it actually is most likely the most tax efficient thing for them to do to plow <laughs> yeah. the money into the TFSA first, because you're you know you're just out of school, or or, or or in this case you're in school, you're probably you know maybe hopefully earning a little bit over minimum wage, but you're not making six figures, and so. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I I thought that was very clever. When I saw that, I thought, okay, I see what he's doing. Very, very smart. Very smart. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Very neat. And and I I hear your point about the RSP because, I mean, you're right. To explain that, to really understand how to use it, when to use it, and just the whole concept, you have to understand the tax system, essentially, and how tax brackets work and and what you were saying earlier about how when you're taxed at what rate and, and all that, if you don't get that, it's hard to fully grasp the benefits of the RRSP. And then if you don't understand it, you're probably a lot less likely to use it unless you just you know trust someone that you, you're like, oh, they're smart, they really know what they're doing. But if, if you don't have that kind of person that you trust so much, you're probably just not going to use it because it's a tool that you don't fully comprehend. So yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah. That's that's exactly it, Cornell. And and also like like if I may, the red registered retirement savings plan. I mean, I don't know what you think, but I kind of think it's a boring name. Like it, it's just, <laughs> it's just not exciting. Like registered retirement savings plan. It just sound it sounds like something that my grandmother is going to talk about. Like it just <laughs> it just doesn't. It's not exciting. And so so when when I'm explaining it to a seventeen year old, the the one of the comments that came up from my from actually one of my my test group uh, readers, they said it's just such a boring name. Like, can you make it more fun? Um, so so I thought, okay, okay, maybe maybe here's here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna change the name slightly in the book. So instead of calling it registered retirement savings plan, instead of calling it savings plan, I'm gonna call it an investing plan just for a second. So we'll call it an investment an investment plan. And then I'm gonna take out the word retirement because it's just a boring word. And I'm gonna replace it with something that is a little bit more exciting. So in my book, I actually call it the registered Hawaiian beach bungalow investment plan. <laughs> so so this now as a 17 year old you go yeah hawaii beach bungalow in hawaii that sounds good okay what is this like maybe i should understand this so that when i retire maybe i can retire to hawaii have a hawaiian beach bungalow like so so that's the entire idea behind the book is how do we take these boring concepts and make them more interesting and enticing to learn about mm-hmm. it is a more intriguing name i think it was only sort of the first time then <laughs> yeah yeah you'll laugh you'll laugh now when you get to that part of the book like, oh oh i see i see what he's doing there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> now what would you say are some of your top best practices that us parents can do to ensure that our kids are set up for success when it comes to their financial lives obviously probably the first thing you'll say is read my book which makes sense. <laughs> you, did, you clearly put a amazing amount of effort into this book. I mean, just from the feedback, like the 50 plus students reviewing it, the revision. So clearly that seems like a really good way for someone to get started. More specifically, are there any sort of best practices that really jump out at you that you think, okay, if a parent's gonna do one thing or three things, 
what would those be? Do you think uh, with their kids? I would say that the top that I mean, you're, you're right for now. I mean, but by my book, <laughs> um, uh, but, but no, like in, in all, in all seriousness, I, the, the book is designed to be a tool. So, so even though I think that, that the book is, is an amazing tool for parents to, to kind of bridge that, that gap and to kind of have that conversation and a great starting point. Ultimately, Cornell, it, it, it comes to having the conversation. It comes to being brave, and, and it and it and it comes down to start bringing the topics of finances and money and TFSAs and retirement and investing, especially start bringing it to the dinner table and and see what happens and and open it up in a non intimidating way and and try to try to just get kids talking about it and especially listen, listen to them and, and, and listen to the direction they want to go in their interests. And if someone, if, if you've got a teenager who's really interested in a particular company or a particular brand, use that as a jumping, jumping off point. I mean, if you've, if you've got, I mean, just arbitrarily picking a, a company, if you've got a, a kid who's interested in Nike, okay, or, or whatever, any brand, then then, then go, okay, well, actually, you know, there's a way for you to invest in, in Nike and, and there's a way for you to, uh, to tell Nike, Hey, like, um, I'm, I'm interested in you and I'm interested in investing my money with you in the hopes that you continue to grow as a brand. And my hope is that in a few years, uh, however long your your time horizon is in a few years when i sell my shares or whatever and i take my money back ideally i'll have more money than what i started with and uh and i think i think just continuing as parents just continuing to have the conversation and being brave even though i know it can be awkward and and uh and tricky i just think it is super super important and i I think parents would agree that they want to set their kid up for financial success and having the conversations is honestly, it is the, the first way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I'm certainly hopeful that my book can play a helpful role in doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really good idea. Like you mentioned the Nike example, I could see it being a fun project or even a fun conversation to have with the kid. Cause I mean, my daughter is eight now but already there are certain brands or companies that I can tell she likes, she'll, she'll bring it up. So even I'm thinking just brainstorming here, I'm thinking even something like, Hey, did you know that you can actually be part owner of this company and you'll actually get a share of their profits? I mean, you know, if, I think if one says something like that, like if they're a fan of the one an iPhone, right. And then you mentioned, Hey, did you know you could actually own a share of Apple and you'll be part owner and you'll actually get dividends, which is a distribution of the profits. I mean, you can start that whole sort of conversation and all of a sudden it becomes something interesting as opposed to, I don't know, it just seems like a really good way to get those conversations started where you're engaging with their existing interests and using that as a way to explain certain concepts that they can then apply. So yeah, very, very interesting. These are great, uh, great advice. And I think, I think to, to your point, I mean, using their interests to springboard them into investing or making smarter choices with their money, that, um, that literally is the idea around the title 17 to millionaire is, is trying to go, okay, like if, uh, are you interested in being rich someday? Yes. Okay, great. Like let's let's start there. Okay, great. And because I really think when it comes down to it, Cornell, like when it as a teacher, I really believe it's not just about getting the the kid or the student to learn, but it's about getting them to want to learn. 
So how do we get them to want to learn, not just to learn it? And, um, and I really do think it starts with their interests. So if we can listen to the younger generation, what are they interested in? And if we can start there, then, then I think we are more likely to have, uh, to have success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did think it was pretty clever how you did it with the title, because on the one end, it, like as a parent, it does sound like, a, oh, get rich quick kind of thing, even though it's not. Totally. But I but I can see how you I can understand why you did that because if I tr- if I try to put myself in the shoes of a 17-year-old like when I was 17 if you told me hey did you know like here I can actually show you how to get this I mean what 17-year-old doesn't want to be a millionaire right? <laughs> and, right and so if you say hey here's a here's a blueprint for that does that get me to open to the first page and if I was if I'm thinking back to when I was 17 the answer would be yes, of course. And then as they go through the book, they realize, okay, this is not like a get rich quick thing where you're going to start some YouTube channel and be a millionaire next month. Right, right. Because yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen anyway. But I mean, <laughs> but yeah. I, I do think that it's a, it's a, it was a very strategic, clever thing you did with the titles, again, knowing your audience. And just I, I even see the way you wrote the book, how you're not, you don't have these giant paragraphs. It's in sort of these bite-sized forms so that it is easier to digest. I noticed too where you're adding, like you mentioned, the sort of sarcasm and humor, so that it doesn't feel like okay, this is some fourth year business book, university business book. You know, what I mean, this is something that actually is um, fine tuned to keep that interest of someone that is 17 and and is, is you know wanting to learn this for the first time. So yeah, I thought it was very very intelligently done uh, in your design for sure. Thank you so much. I mean, I really I did uh, uh, you know at the risk of. Re- Repeating, um, repeating something. I, I do really, really feel that it does come down to the experience for the reader, and 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 I don't think people will learn complicated concepts unless they're provided with a tool that allows them to learn it in a fun and engaging way, and and that and and. W- as they are reading it, they're feeling, hey, I actually can do this. Like, I actually understand that. The way he's talking about that, I actually get it. And that was crucial to the book. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that comment because uh, uh, two years of effort went into trying to make that the case. So thank you so much. It, it definitely shows. And like I said, I haven't read the entire book yet. I've just I've just kind of started it here. But, but from what I've – but already I, I've noticed – very different things compared to the books I usually read. And I can see how those things you did were deliberate and how that can be more effective to, again, my 17-year-old self back in the day. And and I know those things take effort and a lot of thought to do because it's much easier to just crank out thousands of words than it is to think, okay, it's almost like I'm thinking like software, right? Where it's like user experience testing, right? How, okay, you've got this great tool, but how do we make it intuitive? How do we make it engaging? That kind of a thing. And so it was very evident to me how you did go to that extra level of not let's just dump all this information on them, but how do we actually structure it in such a way where it actually does generate the end result we want, as opposed to here's book 1005, you know, on personal finance, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, added to, yeah. the, to the list on Amazon, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I just want to really acknowledge that because I, I could tell immediately how this must have been a ton of work to do. And clearly you put that work into it. So, so awesome. And yeah, so yeah, I just want to mention that because I, I do think it deserves recognition 100%. 
I really, yeah, Cornell, I really, really appreciate that, man. Because, um, yeah, it has been extremely challenging. How do you make learning about money and finance is fun for for uh, for a teenager, for specifically a seventeen year old? And uh, so, I I really, really appreciate that. And again, huge shout out to my test readers because they were absolutely fantastic. And um, but but thank thank you so much. I, I yeah, that means a lot. Awesome. And my last question is that the world is obviously a lot different now than it was when you and I were kids. Are there any areas that have changed a lot when it comes to money that us parents need to be cognizant of when we're trying to set our kids up with that strong foundation when it comes to financial literacy? I, you know what, Cornell, I do think that the world has changed a lot since the time that you and I were in high school. But I do think there are some concepts that are evergreen. I think, like, I think about compound interest, for instance, like, 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 I think, uh, I think of the book, The Richest Man in Babylon, right? And, um, and, like, compound interest has been around for a long time. So even though certain things have changed around that, um, the, 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 the concept of pay yourself first has been around for a long time. And so although the different tools that are available to us, TFSAs, RSPs, RESPs, et cetera, we can go on, even though these have changed, I really do think the basics, the foundation is evergreen. And and that is why I think th- that's kind of the gap that this book aim- aims to fill is let's provide the basics and let's provide these things so that this is a springboard. So tools have changed, basic concepts, I don't think they have. And between you and me, Cornell, I don't know if they ever will. I, I think uh, I think these are going to be around for a long time. I think compound interest and understanding it is a valuable tool uh, and, and has been for centuries and I think will continue to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very interesting point. I remember reading, I think Wealthy Barber was maybe one of the first personal finance book I read when I was in high school. And yes, the like you said, that the tools change, the investment products change. Like I remember there, he was talking about mutual funds a lot. Now, yeah. you know, now there's ETFs and asset allocation ETFs, which didn't exist when he first wrote the book. And, and so those, I would argue, for a lot of people can be much better tools. But again, the underlying concepts, like paying yourself first, which, which you mentioned as well, compound interest, those foundational things, yeah, they, they do not seem to change. Uh, the, the way exactly. our tax system works, you know, there's always, there's going to be different credits that go come and go, but at the end of the day, sort of that foundation, that foundation stays. And yeah, it seems to make sense to me that that's where we should start uh, when educating our kids, uh, which is what you've done in the book. So very, very neat. Um, and I think, I think to your point too, um, Dave Chilton, who wrote uh, Wealthy Barber, actually, when I was beginning to write this book, I was about six or seven weeks into the process. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to email Dave Chilton. So I did. And to my, to my, like, oh, oh my goodness, I was so honored. He called me and I got to have a conversation with, uh, with Dave Chilton. And I said, Hey, like, this is what I'm, I'm doing. And he gave me so much encouragement. I was so grateful for that. And actually over the last two years, I've just kept him up to date. 
with what's been happening. Uh, he's super, super busy, uh, but it's been really fun to just, you know, every few months or so to be able to send him, hey Dave, like this is kind of the update and he's he's always sent back encouragement. So yeah, I've really, I've really appreciated that. I even had a parent say to me who read the book, uh, say to me, hey, your book is kind of like The Wealthy Barber except for 17 year olds. And and I, that was their words, not mine, uh, but but I definitely appreciated that. That was mm-hmm. like, wow, like, like thank you so much. Because um, uh, I greatly, admire uh, Dave Chilton, um, both Wealthy Barbers, uh, uh, Wealthy Barber and Wealthy Barber Returns. I have devoured many, many times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a, yeah, I'm a big fan of, of the, the approach that he has taken to financial education as well. So yeah, really inspired by, by that. For sure. Awesome. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the books as well. Yeah. The, that I would say for anybody listening that hasn't read them, uh, definitely I would say read both. Cause the second one is kind of an update on, on some of the things that have changed, definitely. but, um, but again, the underlying concepts do do tend to stay. So yeah, definitely high recommendations as well uh, when it comes to those two books. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd really like to thank you for clearly putting in a very significant effort uh, to help educate young Canadians when it comes to financial literacy. As a parent, that's very close to my heart. So it's nice to see someone, <laughs> you know, fighting the good fight and, and helping educate our youth. It's, it's, it's really wonderful to see. Uh, and like I said, you clearly, this has been, I can tell that this has been an enormous time investment on your end. Uh, and so it's really nice to see someone putting in that much effort uh, to help educate our youth. So definitely want to thank you again for for doing that as your contribution to to Canadians and, and Canadian kids and, and Canadian parents. Uh, and tell us uh, where can we find your book, download it, uh, just yeah, tell us all the information for anyone that wants to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. So right now the book is available uh, on Amazon.ca um, or on on Amazon, basically. And actually, you can get there by going through the website. Uh, you can get right to the page. So if people go to the website seventeen to millionaire dot com, and that's seventeen spelled out. So S E V E N T W E N T-O, millionaire. Uh, although you will actually get there if you plug in 172millionaire.com. Anyway, uh, people can find it. There's a couple videos on the website, which um, which have we've gotten lots of positive feedback. Oh, they're uh, wonderful. They're really good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. And they're super short. And uh, so people can take a look at those. And then there's nice, big, obvious buttons, uh, links on the website that take them right to the uh, the Amazon page. And actually, Cornell, I'll, I'll share with you. Um, we're actually, I'm thrilled to be sharing this uh, with, with the amount of, of, uh, of outpouring of support I've gotten. Um, 17 to Millionaire currently is the number one bestseller in financial textbooks on Amazon right now. So, I, I, not- I noticed that today before our interview, I hopped on and I saw that. I, I congratulations. That's wonderful. oh, thank you so much. Wonderful. Like I'm so like I'm I'm just overwhelmed. So I'm so like in in the best way and so thrilled. So and and hey, huge thank you to you uh, for having me and all the work you do. So I really uh, I really appreciate. It. We're both fighting the good fight here in terms of financial education, and I know it's really important to both of us for sure, hundred percent. So yeah, so thanks thanks again for coming on and uh, and yeah for everybody listening, seventeen to millionaire by Douglas Price and. Yeah, you can go to the site, 17tomillionaire.com, or just search that within a Kindle or within Amazon. And yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll find it really, really quick. It was very easy to find. So Doug, thanks so much for coming on. And like, like you said, thanks for uh, fighting the good fight and, and helping educate <laughs> our youth and then Canadians. And it's been it's been great. And I, I look forward to, to the next book and, and finishing the one that you wrote just now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Cornell. Appreciate All right. It. Have a good one. Take care. 
All right, thanks for tuning in. And just a quick reminder that I'm in the process of creating a free six-day mini course showing you the details of how I personally invest. Again, just to keep everything transparent, I show you what investments I buy, the tools I use, and how I optimize my investments and finances to pay the least in unnecessary fees and taxes. To get it, you can just sign up anywhere for free over at Build Wealth Canada. And I'll send you the course the moment it's ready. And it might even be ready now, depending on when you listen to this episode. Also, if you enjoy this episode, please share it with someone that you think may find it useful. And of course, leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify is always super, super appreciated as well. I'd like to end with a big thanks to two of our sponsors who, apart from my investing course, literally keep the entire Build Wealth Canada podcast and website free for you. Do you know why asset allocation ETFs have become so popular? Asset allocation explains over 90% of the variation in a portfolio's quarterly returns. So it's no wonder Canadian investors are turning to these ETFs. Today's sponsor, BMO ETFs, offers these innovative all-in-one solutions with the BMO All Equity ETF, ZEQT, BMO Growth ETF, ZGRO, BMO Balanced ETF, ZBAL, BMO Conservative ETF, ZCON, and more. BMO developed these to help provide investors with ETFs that offer broad diversification, and they're also low-cost and simple to use. These ETFs invest in a number of underlying index-based ETFs and are rebalanced automatically back to your set asset allocation or mix of stocks and bonds. They offer a hands-free approach to investing that is built on disciplined weights to provide exposure to different geographies and sectors all in one solution. BMO actually offers eight asset allocation ETFs, and you can learn more at BMO etfs.com. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed's hiring platform helps you easily schedule and conduct virtual interviews all in one place. And it streamlines hiring with powerful matching tools that find you matched candidates fast. On Indeed, over 85% of employers find quality candidates whose resume matches their job description the moment that they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. One of the things that I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. It gets you one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates on the platform. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. And Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner, delivering eight times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. So start hiring now with a $100 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash build wealth. Offer is good for a limited time. Again, you can claim your $100 credit now at Indeed dot com slash build wealth terms and conditions apply thanks for listening to the build wealth canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca 